Hello, everyone. We are the Bad Moms in Business. Hello. Yes, my name is Bridget Robertson. I'm Amanda Sharp. I'm Danielle Monahan. And today we are joined by my sweetest of friends that I've known for over a decade at this point. Marta Mm -hmm. Ramirez! Hi, everybody. I'm so excited. I'm on cloud nine about this. Like, I asked Danielle and Bridget, I've been talking about this, like, since we put this on the calendar. Since day one. I'm like, you're so excited. She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. She's everything. And look at it. You delivered. She is all of those things. I'm super yes, excited. Thank you. I'm super excited I'm to have you. So, I'm really, really over the moon excited to be talking to other adults. That's always <laughs> awesome. Now, let's just talk about your kiddos for a second because they've been many adults since they were two. <gasps> let's hear about them. They're twins, you guys. And they, they, they were taller than me at the age of, I think, four. <laughs> <laughs> It's so true. Oh, my gosh. I remember you and my four-year-old standing in our kitchen in El Paso, and you were the same height as both of them. That's impressive. It is. Now, both Marta and Hector are very tall, but that just – Jealous. Yes. And her (laughs) children, she homeschools them and has for forever, and they are – geniuses dare I yeah they're way they're way smarter than us <laughs> I you got like I'm For not sure. just like saying that they are geniuses. I'm not either they're really smart they're it, way smarter than us <laughs> it, it's oh, amazing I mean nice. they if they were closer they would be teaching Owen <laughs> yes and they would enjoy that too so how old are they they are 15 wow so my 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 little mama heart is breaking Ugh. um but I I, even, it, even when they were 12, I was like, they're leaving me soon and they're going to go and get married. And my husband's like, you're 12. You need to calm down. So. <laughs> I love it. That's the hardest part. That's the hardest part of being a parent. I mean, your job as a parent is to um, raise children that then become independent and can go out into the world yep. and... Fully functioning adults. Um, fully functioning yeah. adults. And, th- and that's your goal as a parent. But while you're doing it, it's like, but I don't want you to leave. I want you to stay the little kid oh, yeah, for sure. Are. I'm all about sabotaging their lives so that they have to stay with me. Like, whatever it takes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay with that. I, I'll put them, I'll pay for the therapy. I'll do all that stuff. I'm Get me already. <laughs> I love it. And did you want to talk a little bit about Hector? So Hector and I, um, what's funny is that Hector and Marta, if you've ever watched the movie Scarface, it's a huge cult classic film. We are represented in that movie. There is a couple called Hector and Marta in the movie Scarface. They die within the first uh, 15 minutes of the movie. Um, But it's kind of very chaotic, just like we are. We've been together. We just celebrated in September our 21st anniversary. Wow, Uh, congratulations. That's awesome. I have officially been married longer than I was single. Wow. Which is something that I was just never thought I'd say, but it it is what it is. Hector (laughs) retired a year ago from the army. He Mm -hmm. served 26 years in the army. Wow. Um, I know. Um, Has all the (laughs) ailments to go for it. So instead of a t-shirt, he got, you know, hearing aids, but 
And, and thank you for your entire family service. And yeah. same to you. Thank you oh. for your service, Amanda. Thanks. That's this is how about you know. though. This is about you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it, it is not an easy life to live, no matter how long the stint was. Military life is very challenging. But, you know, he, we survived. Our marriage survived, which is a testament. Um, but he's been retired for a year and a half now. And transition was interesting. His transition from the military to civilian life was interesting, but I'm still saying he's still saying we're both still alive. So that is a great thing. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And they are probably, no, they are the most sexy with a ca- all capital letters. I will take that girl. <laughs> we are too old to be that, but I will take it. Girl. And when you see these videos of these two dancing, you're just like, I'll never be that in my entire life. They have more sexy in their pinky than I do in my whole short body. We actually met dancing. So that was a a prerequisite for for me being serious about you. You had to be able to dance. And to be so big, Hector is very light on his feet. So, and he's taller than me, which as being half Latina, and him being Latino, I wasn't searching for, you know, a Spanish guy, but for him to be so tall and be a Latino was rare. So it's like, you know, love will come later. Don't worry about it. Let's just, you can dance and you're tall. So you meet the requirements. <laughs> I love it. But they are sexy for sure. All right. Enough about them. Let's get back to Marta. Okay. So Marta, the very first time I met Marta was at PWOC, which was Protestant Women of the Chapel. And it was at the kickoff. And she actually was the one who created the cake centerpieces and they were teacups and like saucers and you guys. And I was like, Marta. And so my love for Marta happened that day because she sculpted these beautiful cakes for every single table. It was just gorgeous. And then our relationship just further went. And so she, as a military wife, she began her business out of her home Mm -hmm. and Owen was so little, but he would want to go to Miss Marta's house because she would do like a, a market say on a Saturday Mm -hmm. with her freshly baked breads and all of her divine treats. And Owen would want to go there and get like basically her rolled like honey wheat bread. And there was nothing that compared to Miss Marta's. Owen loved that honey wheat bread. Mm -hmm. I remember that to this day, every time I make it. it. And he just loved his Miss Marta. Um, and then that progressed to where you are today, which is a author of a cookbook. Mm-hmm. Got it right here. I mean, I've got things like marked off and I definitely like use it like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Some things I need to, I need help with because I just can't, you know, my expert level is very low. Um, but creator and author of her cookbook runs a dynamic website since an edibil edibit you know what I'm since a, you know what I'm trying to sense say. an edibility yeah an <laughs> I can't say edibility <laughs> which just is what it's, happens it's so funny <laughs> and she's on all of the channels as that too with Facebook Instagram I mean and she's yeah. got such a following and then she also is a contributor writer for Simply Recipes which is a big deal. That's huge. That is awesome. Yeah. All while being a wife. You were putting us to shame, lady. Oh, stop. No, stop. <laughs> and part of our 
you know, our podcast topics when we were looking at, you know, where we wanted this podcast to go was just to really cover a lot of topics. And it happened to be one of them was, you know, how business owners of women of color are affected. And we were talking like, how do we like bring this into the podcast? Like, I've got the perfect person. And you know what I love about Marta is she knows my heart. So I don't have to be like 100%, like I don't have to script the question perfectly for her to understand what I'm trying to ask. Because sure. I don't know how to always say things exactly politically correct. And that leads me to not always having the discussion mm-hmm. with a person, um, you know, that I might know around here, just because I, I don't ever want to insult somebody by asking it incorrectly. So when it was Marta, I was like, oh, I can stumble. I can say whatever. And she'll know what I'm asking. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I want to thank you, Marta, because I know um, I've been been really studying up and, and learning what it means not to just be um, someone who isn't racist, but anti-racist is, you know, the, the new buzzword, for lack right. of a better word. And I don't mean to even call it a buzzword because I think that that takes away from, from truly the importance, um, of yeah. the importance of it. Yeah. But um, I'm just so thankful that you're willing to come in and kind of do the emotional and mental work that's involved with having these conversations right. because it's certainly as a person of color, not your responsibility to teach us. Fair. Um, yeah. and I'm just so thankful that you were, were open to this. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, it, it truly really is a pleasure. It. No, it really is a pleasure. Um, one of the great things about being a military spouse, I grew up as a military brat and married into the military and served in the military. So one, one great thing about that culture is that you're not sensitive to certain things. Um, when, especially when you're married to somebody who's in a certain um, branch of the military, not branch of the military, but has certain jobs in the military. Like I was married to a guy who was in the medical field for most of his life and you have infantrymen. The humor is very dark and morbid because of the environment that they live in on a regular basis. So when you have high tension combat type of um, an environment that you're always training for or going to, it causes you to have a very weird sense of humor. So for me, it's like I grew up in that environment. Um, I know when people are purposely trying to offend me, Mm -hmm. I choose to not be offended most of the time. Um, and then when it's time to be offended, I can be offended with the both the best of them and really <laughs> handle stuff. Yes. But when people are seeking to gain knowledge and um, be better people, I'm all for that. And I appreciate you retracting the buzzword statement, but it really is a buzzword. Yeah. You know why? It's because anti-racist is a term that means decent human being. Oh, yes. perfect. So that's, yes. that's all it is. It's like, you want to be a decent human being. Mm-hmm. There shouldn't be Love a that. label placed on that. Right. You are what you are. You're not what you're not. So um, I do, I agree with you that it is a buzzword. It's a catchphrase right now because mm-hmm. it's, it's what trends and it's what can headline articles. The reality is if you're anti-racist, it means you are a decent human being. And that's what we should all be striving for, I think. So I'm happy to be here. Super happy to be here. I love that. Danielle, did you want to jump into the first question? Yeah, I, didn't I do. That one. <laughs> how's, how's my light? Because, you know, I'm vain and I need to make sure 
I got lighting. You look great. Do I need to light me up on this side? I feel kind of dark. I mean, no? you're you're a little shadowed if you want to brighten but, up a yeah. little, but, but your personality. Yeah, I can show you where I work while I walk over to my light. Yes. <laughs> this, is, this is my workspace, everybody. Look, this is I can real life. Quick. I'm a mother. Listen, I'm a mother of multiples. See, that's oh, why. Oh, you look at that lighting. Wow. Now, her, her. Let's discuss where I live. Okay. We Let's are. Let's talk where I live. Um. I was just, like, I got a tiny ring light. <laughs> well, you know, I do, I do this for a living. I'm a photographer. So I have to have all this uh, equipment. And I was thinking to myself, well, I don't want to light myself up too much, but I really feel it's super dark for the first time in San Antonio. Day. It's super dreary. Okay. And I am jealous that she still is in Texas to a large degree because, oh. I love. I live in well, look at she's in a T-shirt right now. Meanwhile, I'm in this and I'm freezing. Oh, yeah, <laughs> super. <laughs> it's super hot here. There, there's no. Oh yeah, she's gorgeous. It's a little I know bit better. A lot of our viewers are just listening. I really need everyone to take like a moment at some point, <laughs> hop on YouTube to see this beautiful, gorgeous woman because she's yeah. sure we'll, so stunning. I'm, I'm sure, sure we'll put a picture on Instagram. No, you won't. They're gonna go on there yeah. and be like, "She's not that cute." <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> I love it. Well, we'll definitely okay. shout you out on Instagram and everything too. So head over yeah, there. Yeah, do that. Do that. I'd love, I love adding people. You know, a lot of people say, well, I have X many followers. We don't have followers at Cincinnati Ability. We have cohorts. Mm. We have mm. people who join our band of mis misfits. That's what I have on Cincinnati Ability. I love that. Followers. That's kind of where our following is. We're all kind yeah, of trying right. to find our place. And um, I love yeah. it. Yeah. And, it, you know, just to kind of go off on a side tangent, it's not about the followers, right? It's about it really like isn't. that sense of community that you, that you cultivate. It's yeah. I love that. Yeah. We are reckless in, in our, in my community. We're super reckless. We love joking. We love having a good time. Self-deprecating uh, humor is at the forefront of most Sounds of like what a place I do. For me. Yeah, <laughs> you are. You are my girl. You are my girl. <laughs> you get us. <laughs> awesome. Oh, All right. Well, Danielle, do you want to go ahead and jump in? Yeah. So we have a couple of questions for you, if you don't mind us asking. But the first one that I have is, what are race-related issues that you've experienced as a food writer? As a food writer. Um, one of the biggest ones is recipe typecasting. So if you've ever heard of the term from actors and actresses, they're yep. typecast into a certain role. Um, my typecast is either all Spanish food. Interesting. It doesn't matter that I'm half Puerto Rican, um, and soul food, mm. right? So because I'm half black and half Puerto Rican, people... I'm a twofer for many people. Um, they automatically veer towards, can you give me a great Mexican recipe? Mm. I'm not Mexican. So whatever a white person who writes recipes would know about Mexican food, probably we probably have the same level of intelligence or skill right. as far as that's concerned. Truth be told, I was trained in formal European mm -hmm. recipes and dining. So I can cook and bake many European foods like it's like I was raised in France or in England and 
people don't really acknowledge that. People don't even ask about that. I'm automatically railroaded, not railroaded, because I'm often asked to do it. Whether or not I take it is up to me. Most of the time I take it because, you know, we all got bills to pay. Yeah, we do. Um, <laughs> right? Right. But I notice that. I notice that. And it's, and I also find that the amount of money, the compensation offered me is not on par with my white counterparts. Um, there's actually a movement in the food blogger world where we're being, being very transparent about the campaigns that we're doing. And we're, and this happened after the George, George Floyd incident where food bloggers, white food bloggers decided to ally with us and said, we are going to tell you how much we were paid to do this campaign. Wow. That way wow. you all can know the brands that are not real about this black box that they put on their profiles or this, you know, equality movement that they're professing to, to, to adhere to. So that was an, an eye opener for many people of color who are food bloggers, the amount of money that we were getting paid or offered, um, campaigns that were being paid in actual spending money to white, uh, food bloggers, we were being offered product. So it, it's, it was eye-opening, and that, that's something that I've, I've dealt with throughout my career as a food writer. Wow. That's really interesting. That is so ins- – I – you just, like – my head just exploded with that because not only are you working against being a woman in a man's world still, I just never knew it went that deep. Not just – well, two parts there, that you would get paid differently based on that, but also that – you would only be necessarily like, you know, um, pigeonholed. thought of. Pigeonholed, railroaded, yeah. typecasted. It, it, it applies across the board. We can take that concept, that discrimination, and apply it across the board in every workplace. Wow. That's, what, that's wow. what minorities deal with. Yeah. I, um, I have to say, I follow several women of color who are in the fashion industry, like fashion blogging. Mm -hmm. And one woman shared her story where she was going back and forth with a brand who was saying, you know, we want to use you. And she was like, great, what's the budget? And they kept saying, oh, we don't know yet, but we still really want to use you. And at the end of the day, it just turned out, we don't have a budget for a black woman. We'll give you, you'll get some followers wow. from this and, and maybe yeah, someone will. Yeah. Exposure and I, is always the, the one that they throw at us. Like we can pay our rent with exposure. Right. Right. Yeah. I can't feed my kids with Instagram likes. Sorry. You know? <laughs> I'm sorry, but your $4 bottle of ketchup will not cover my, my light bill today. So yeah. I feel like most of this interview is going to be with my jaw on the ground every <laughs> while. Oh, yeah, you got you to so strap in because it, it's going to be a wild one. I, and, and, and what I want to actually let you guys know is that you are going to lose viewers. You're going to lose listeners because this is a topic that people do not like to talk about. They don't like to be told that their perfect world is only perfect for them. Mm-hmm. So, and, and truth be told, you may lose friends behind this. I've lost tons of friends, but if any year is a year to do it, 2020 is oh, a year to do it. Absolutely. So. Oh, absolutely. Yes. 
It is the year of accountability. That is what I keep calling it. And you know what? That is a sacrifice that we are willing to make to stand up. A thousand percent. And I'll say, you know, in our, Danielle and Amanda and I all work in the same industry. I don't know that we've ever disclosed what that is, but um, when the things happened with George Floyd and this summer with um, the, the Black Lives Matter movement, and I can remember being afraid to post about it because it's like, it's like religion or politics. You automatically are going to lose 50% of your potential business because someone doesn't agree with you. And I just had to decide that that was okay. You know what? If, if someone is not going to use my business because I spoke up for black lives, that's not someone I want to do business with anyway. Um, and I feel the same way. And I, I, I know Amanda and Danielle do as well. If, if someone that was previously listening or watching to this goes, Oh, nope, nope. Turning this off. That's okay. That's yep. okay. Then that's not who we're looking for. That, yep. that's not and what it's we really want. important. It's also really important to before if said viewer or said listener decides that, well, I'm just not going to, I don't, I don't want to talk politics or I don't want to discuss political things. The one thing that I implore people to remember is that, human lives are not political. There's nothing political about a living, breathing person. And before you decide to check out or unfollow or, you know, leave in a huff, ask yourself why it's affecting you in this way so much Mm -hmm. that you're, you're angry or you feel like you have to leave, you know? And reflect on that. I think as we as we continue to discuss and go through this and unpack all these icky feelings, I would like to think that people will come away with a better understanding of we are talking about human lives. Yeah. Right. That's, I agree. That's 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 important to remember. And Marva, I know you have very thick skin and you can, you know, go down with the best of them. I mean, you could really give you know, a person to run for their money in any kind mm-hmm. of debate about anything really. But I know you're also a woman and you're human. So when these things happen to you from a personal level as a woman, as a mom, as a wife, like how does it actually make you feel when that happens to you, when you get paid less because of that? So not just does it happen, but truly and honestly, like what does that make you feel like? Is it anger? Is it sadness? Everything. It's frustration. It really is frustration because the reality is I put myself through culinary school mm-hmm. working three part-time jobs. Wow. So if, if we get technical, it was two part-time jobs and a work-study job. I lived in probably the worst neighborhood in Baltimore City because it was the only thing that I could afford. Um, when we talk about the whole, you know, we used to laugh about our grandparents and our parents telling us those stories. I walked two miles uphill in the snow barefoot. I I literally took a two hour journey from a rundown part of Baltimore on buses to get to school by my first six o'clock in the morning class. Wow. So for me, when somebody tells me you are not, you're not good enough or you're not worth the same amount that a white food blogger who has a degree in accounting and decided she likes to cook, you're not worth that much. 
to me, it, it's a slap in the face, a huge slap in the face. So I'm offended. I'm angry. I become resentful. And then I also, and, and truth be told, I take that out on my husband because I married him a month after I graduated from culinary school and proceeded to follow him around and support his military career. And anyone that knows me and knows the type of army wife that I was knows I gave 150% mm -hmm. in everything that I did supporting his career. Yeah. So then I think to myself, look at how far I, I set myself back supporting your career and look at where I'm at now because of it. So it, there's a, a whole mixed bag of emotion, resentment, anger, hostility, um, hurt, because no matter the facade that I put up to people, no matter, you know, the, the act that I play that I'm so tough, again, I'm still human. Mm -hmm. and, and nobody wants to feel like they're not good enough or not like I can't sit at your table when I built the table and made all the food that's on the table. Oh. That I have a problem with. She's saying that she probably truly did build the table. I literally probably built the table. <laughs> I, built, I built this island right here. Oh I, mean, I build stuff. What don't you do? Oh my right? God. That's, like, I don't do math. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. You should see the, the math question that I sent to Amanda and Danielle yesterday. <laughs> I mean, fourth grade math. And it was, math. It was not <laughs> difficult, but I was like, how do I take what I know the answer is and put it down on this piece? Of, I was so confused. <laughs> I carry the one and the two. <laughs> I'll horrible. do the math. Math is Bring on the math. I'll leave the cooking to you. I'll do the math. <laughs> Good. <laughs> And from an outsider, though, to know you and know how insanely capable you are at basically anything you put your mind to, I'm just flabbergasted as to that somebody would actually treat you that way in 2020. Right? Yes. I just, I just can't believe that. And I mean, obviously, you have proof. I mean, yeah. I just, I, I know. I'm I feel alone. the exact same way. I cannot believe that all of this is coming about in the year 2020. Yes. It's 2020. And I had an exchange on Facebook with a white woman who, I don't, I, I don't even remember the context of why she said it, but you know, she tagged a picture. I believe it was a picture of Martin Luther King and it, maybe it was one of the quotes that people conveniently use to calm down protests. And mm -hmm. she said, you know, we've come a long way as a country. And mm. normally I've gotten to the point where I just keep scrolling because I don't have the time to, right. I mm -hmm. just don't, I don't, I don't have the emotional energy to do it. Right. This time I had time. I made time. And <laughs> I asked her, I said, how can you really believe that we've come so far if I'm still protesting the things my father protested and things my grandfather protested? How as a country have we come that far? We're not protesting suffragette. Like, we're not suffragettes anymore. We're not, you know, asking for the right to vote for women. That's coming a long way. Mm -hmm. But do you really mean to, to tell me as a Black woman or as a Latina that we've come so far if we're still having these discussions? And whether we've come far or not, which I think could be argued we have moved forward. We've moved 
But yeah, that's not like bit. equality. I, I, do, I mean, really it's isn't. just not a compliment to the movement. It's not. It's, right. it's insulting that we're this far into history and we still can't get this particular part right. But I think right. it goes to show, too, how far removed people get yeah. and that they, don't, they can't see the other side of the coin. They can't see it from somebody else's perspective. And that's sad. Yeah, when you don't deal with racism or microaggressions on a regular basis, mm-hmm. you are fooled into believing that racism isn't as big a deal as we make it out to be. For sure. But we live this life on a regular basis. So that actually segued perfectly into what into, my next question is. Yeah. yeah. So as people who are not people of color, as white women, Um, what are some microaggressions that we may be committing that we don't even realize we're committing? What are some things that maybe we're doing in our everyday lives that, um, we, we could be, um, changing? I wore this head wrap as a perfect example of microaggressions that I have experienced personally, um, by people who don't realize what they're saying is offensive. Um, again, I used to live in Baltimore and in the Northwest part of Baltimore, there's a very large, um, Orthodox or Hasidic Jew community. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how familiar you are with the, uh, Hasidic Jews or with Orthodox Jews, but after women marry, they have to wear, um, a sheetal or a tickle, which is, uh, the tickle is like a head wrap or the sheetal is the wig that they wear. Um, and part of, my job, I used to have to ride the bus through this Orthodox neighborhood. And I, when I was in culinary school, I was a Rastafarian. Um, And that meant that I could, I didn't go out without my hair covered with a head wrap. Um, And so that was just my life. I just never left the house without a head wrap on. And I was on a bus and a very old white lady, you know, hobbled onto the bus and she sat across from me and, you know, I was just hanging out, riding the bus. Uh, Orthodox Jewish, Jewish woman came on with her tickle, which is the head wrap, and sat a little ways down. Um, and we just sat there riding the bus, all three of us, a few other people. And the, the lady looked me in the eye and said, you know, you would be really pretty without that thing on your head. And for her, she thought she was giving me fashion advice. Mm-hmm. She didn't bother to give the Jewish white lady the same advice. So for me, it was a very defining moment in my life that when you are in a position that you feel entitled to even give people that advice, you make yourself, you assume that you're the authority. Mm-hmm. And that because oh, I am this boy. person... I have the right and I have the authority to tell you what makes you acceptable to me. We can liken that back to the days of slavery where, you know, the mistress of the house or the master of the plantation told his slaves, you're going to go do that. You're going to be here. What are you doing, boy? Hey, girl, come over here. It's that same mentality that I have a right to tell you what you can or cannot do to be acceptable. So. I wore this because this still occurs. This, this people looking at my head wrap. And back then it was a symbol of my faith. 
So it was the equivalent of looking at a Muslim woman and telling her her hijab makes her look ugly. Mm. It's the equivalent of looking at, you know, an Orthodox Jewish woman and telling her that her shido looks ugly. It's this, that was a profession of my faith. Um, and it was very offensive, but it still happens to this day when I wear a head wrap, they ask me, people ask me, well, what's that thing on your head called? You know, it, it, Google will tell you a lot of stuff these days. <laughs> yes, it will. <laughs> you might want to invest in, you know, Google something, ask the question or ask it in a way that is not, it doesn't seem abrasive or, you know, hostile. Say, I really love the, the scarf that's on your head. What's the proper name for that? What is the proper term for that? Is there something symbolic behind it? You know, ask the questions you want to ask, but saying things like, what's that thing on your head? It doesn't rub people the right way, you know? Mm-hmm. Other microaggressions that I experience are <laughs> things like, you're well-spoken for a Latina, or you so, you're, you're so educated, you know, as if the assumption that because I have a little bit more melanin in my skin makes me less intelligent. Yeah. It goes back once again to those early days of this country where people legitimately thought that African slaves, or as we progress, African Americans or black people were less intelligent because we were a different species. Yeah. And we're not. Like, I mean, if we look back at civilization and where it began, it didn't begin in the United States. Right, right. exactly. It's things like that. You're so well-spoken for a, and they catch themselves because that's the offensive part. Right. <laughs> right. You're so well-spoken for a brown girl or a black lady or a Latina. You know, when did you come to this country? Do you oh, still get asked that? I still get asked that. Wow. When did you learn to speak English? English is my first language. I mean, like, what? Yeah, that, that question of where are you from? And you just want to yeah. say like, I'm from Ohio. That's where I'm from. Oh, that's right? not even the worst one. The worst one is, what are you? Oh my gosh. That's the worst one because. I'm human. It, Thank you. That's all I am. I'm just human. I mean, I'm a woman. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's, it's that question of what are you? Because again, I need to be defined. I need to be put in parameters. They need to understand what they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just all these things. All these like our things. boxes as, yeah. as Americans, you know, like we have all of these little boxes and if you don't fit inside one of these boxes, Absolutely. well then, you know, and I don't know what to do with you and yep. I don't know how to handle you and God, I mean, a Brown or a black, well-spoken, eloquent person. I don't know how to deal with you, you know, or a Latina who can speak perfect English, who speaks better English than I do. I don't understand that. You know, they see my name. I, I found this to be true in doctor's offices where they read my name. I have a very Hispanic name. Marta Antonia Rivera Diaz is my name. Oh. Now it was funny because before I got married and took Rivera Diaz from my husband, I was Marta Antonia Daly. Super <laughs> Irish, right? But once I added those, those last two names, people would see that on applications or intake forms. And I would walk in and they would be like, hmm, do you speak English? I'm like, I speak English better than you do. Yes, I speak English. 
the assumption is, is that because of my name, I either need to be vetted that I'm here in this country legally, or that I can actually speak the language of this country. As a biracial woman, I have, a, I run the gamut of, of microaggression stories that it's just, we don't have time for it. Um, or again, the emotional capacity for it. Right. Can I ask, do you feel like women are more the offender of that or men or both? For me, it's a double-edged sword because of the profession that I'm in. Um, men love to mansplain things to me and to talk down to me because I'm a woman in a man's profession. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as sexist behavior is concerned, obviously I get that a lot from men. Um, from men, it's more, there's a sexual undertone from men where you become the exotic beauty or the different person and they speak to you almost in a way where again you're not human and it's almost like a fetish for men when they when they talk to me um where they ask me questions that are not they're they're completely inappropriate Mm. but I'm expected to get it because you know you don't be offended you should be glad that somebody's you know Mm. thinks you're pretty you know when nobody wants a dirtbag to think they're pretty I mean I'm not (laughs) flattered by that in the least right right as far as women are concerned, I do get a lot of hostility from, from white women. Um, and it's more like I should know my place when I speak to them. Um, mm-hmm. If <laughs> I, I, I distinctly remember a, a white woman leaving her cart and in, the, in the grocery store parking lot and it rolled and it hit somebody's car. And I was walking out and saw it. I said, you know, you, you really should leave a note because it left a, a sizable dent in this person's car. I said, you, are you going to leave a note? You can't. She's like, you need to mind your place, girl. And girl, I would rather you call me the B word than for you to refer to me as girl. Because that, again, harkens back to plantation time and civil rights era where Jim Crow made it acceptable for a white woman to refer to a a man, a full grown man or a full grown woman as boy and girl. That shouldn't be happening in 2018 when that happened. So there's, there's, there's the sense of, and we can see it in the Central Park incident where the black man told the woman to put her dog on a leash and the woman automatically went to call the police and say he was threatening her. Mm-hmm. There, is a, there is this mentality of some white people in this country where they feel entitled to check your credentials, to check that you're supposed to be here, to remind you to mind your place and watch how you talk to me, where it's free reign when it comes to us. You can literally tell me that I speak well for a brown girl but I can't tell you, do the right thing and write a note and tell this person that you just dented their car. So yeah, I get it from both sides. I get it from both genders equally. <laughs> I laugh to keep from, from, from losing my sanity, really. Right. No, and I, I guess I sit here and just go like, my, my emotions are just so sad when I'm hearing these things. Because, yeah, I can raise Owen to 
not, I can't say he's not going to see color because I think color is beautiful. I think color, you should see color. Yeah. Good. Absolutely. You know, so it's, yeah. it's not like we're colorblind because I just think color can be such a beautiful thing in this world. And it is um, just to appreciate those differences yes. in everybody. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Yes. And so I, but I know he'll never. So I guess my focus has always been on making sure Owen, you know, mm-hmm. wasn't a violator of this, not even realizing like how much work I have to do, I guess, just yeah. on the level of speaking with adult human beings. Right. These are grown people that should mm-hmm. know better. Right. But somebody didn't bother to take the time to teach them. Right. Their friends didn't take the time to hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. To say, yeah, no, that's not okay. Something as small as my daughter. My daughter has the most beautiful hair. It is curly. It is full. It is just, it's gorgeous. People will, a white woman in El Paso at a dentist's office. We were sitting there. She was being, at that time, she, we left El Paso when they were seven So she was at least five or six years old, five or six year old little girl. And this white woman said, I just love how kinky her hair is. Kinky for us is the equivalent of saying a white woman has tumbleweed for hair or a rat's nest for hair. Mm -hmm. Kinky has always had a bad connotation. Mm -hmm. We're just now starting to reclaim the texture and the pride in texture of our hair as black women. But for me at that time, back in the, you know, in the mid 2000s, hearing somebody call my daughter's hair kinky, just, I mean, raised the hairs on my neck. I wanted to hurt this woman. People touch my daughter's hair. People touch my hair. They don't ask People to you do don't it. know? People, random strangers in the mall. I remember being in a Payless shoe store and I turned to show my daughter a pair of shoes to ask her if she liked them. And this woman had her her hands in my daughter's hair. And it was all I could do not to hurt that woman. I would lose it. Absolutely lose it. it. It's, again, this sense of entitlement. Like, I have a right because... This girl is in front of me and I want to touch her hair. I have a right to violate her autonomy. I have a right to violate her personal space and touch whatever I want to touch and then become offended when her mother tells her, like I did, that molesting children is is a crime, you know, and she became indignant. I wasn't molesting your child. Yes, you were. You touched her against her will without permission and now you're upset that i'm calling you out on it this sense of entitlement that because and i won't say that that was necessarily because she was a white woman she felt entitled to do it i've never seen a black person touch my child's hair i've never seen a black person touch my child my hair so this is something that i see frequently with white people this let me touch your hair as if we're pets you know, or as if we're animals and you want to feel our fur. Mm. It, hair is sacred in mm. many, many cultures. Mm-hmm. And, and we're no different. 
I would never go up to my white friend and say, let me touch your hair. You know, it's just so random to me. But for us, it is something that I have had that question so many times. And I've had to tell people so many times, don't touch my hair. And then when you stand up for yourself, you're like the rude, mean, angry. I am. Well, I was just, I just thought it was pretty. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people's hair is pretty, but I wouldn't touch it. I think your bag is pretty, but I'm not going to touch it. Because if I touch it, then I'm touching your personal property. The concept is, is lost on them because they're so wrapped up in their offense that, you know, you dare call them out on something that is completely inappropriate. They don't, they don't see why it was so inappropriate. So that is another teachable moment that's completely lost on someone. And it could be a teachable moment, but they immediately take offense to it. They take offense. And try to defend what they did instead of going, <laughs> I didn't know. I just yeah. was like mesmerized by her beautiful hair. If yeah. she would have, if she would have used those words with you, you probably would have had a little bit of a softer interaction. Yes. And educating but, her a little bit. But as a more. mother, as a mother to turn around and see someone groping your child, mm. it, it, like, uh, like my daughter is a sideshow attraction or something, mm. you know? And she, and she did it. She was very, um, underhanded about it you know because I had just been talking to my daughter asking her what kind of shoes do you want turn to get the shoe turned around and she's like oh you know she snatched her hand away so she knew it was wrong she knew she knew I mean because as a grown adult you have to think to yourself what business do I have touching a stranger's kid yeah that can't I mean you have to be pretty unintelligent not to realize that that is a that is not acceptable. And then own it, you know, don't, don't try to flip it. Like I'm irrational or I'm, you know, I'm crazy because I told you, get your hand off my child. What mom of a, like what mom in our group, our viewers wouldn't do the same thing. Oh, do not touch my child. (laughs) Do not touch my child. The fact that I didn't leave with a criminal record that day (laughs) is uh, like, we all do. I deserve a round of applause. You do. (laughs) Big props for that because. I know. And I think that's one of the things that I would love for people to take away is as white people, we are going to make mistakes Mm -hmm. because it is ingrained in us. Mm -hmm. Even if we grew up in a, liberal household and I don't mean liberal politically but I just mean in a household where you learned about these things you were educated on these things you had um, neighbors of color it is still something that we are going to mess up on and I think just owning that and saying you know what that was something that I shouldn't have done Mm -hmm. lesson learned and now I can turn around and teach my children that this is not okay And I just wish if if anyone takes away anything from this episode, it's that no one is expecting you to be perfect, um, but to own up to the fact that we're going to make mistakes. It's okay to do that. Learn from them. Move on. Don't do it again. (laughs) No. And that's where like, have your safe place to have these discussions, have your safe people of different skin colors that you can reach out to. Marta is that for me. And that's where I never felt intimidated by 
anything that I may have asked her because she would lovingly have said, this is how it should be said. And I'd go, okay. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't take offense because why would I know? Why would I know? Exactly. I, We're all trying to create a world that's better for our children. Yes. Yeah. So if I can help in that by telling you, ah, girl, no, we can't say stuff like that. <laughs> right. Then that's what I'm supposed to be there for. And vice versa. I don't want to, to continue these stereotypes about white people <laughs> that, that are unfounded and untrue. I don't want to do that because then I'll teach that to my children. And then your children and my children are just repeating the same cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So Marta, just to kind of, um, I, we already touched on this, like in the first question we asked, but basically the takeaways from like, as a food writer and an influencer, I think, mm -hmm. especially, mm -hmm. you know, what are some obvious racist issues that are still happening within that industry separate from what we discussed a little bit earlier? Well, we can take a Scroll down an Instagram feed of anybody on this that listening, watching, doing whatever right now. Notice the amount of brown or black hands you see in those feeds. Mm. Right? That is something that screams at me. Hi, we lack diversity. Right? Mm -hmm. White cells, according to what I see in Instagram. White bloggers preferably those that are blonde with blue eyes and their, you know, beautiful blonde hair, blue eyed babies sell. Mm -hmm. And brands are continuing to, they're, they're continuing the cycle of let's just keep filling our feed with white people. When I, whenever I'm thinking about working with a brand, uh, whenever a brand approaches me, one of the first things I do is I go to their Instagram, their Twitter, I go to their website, and I look to see how many people of color I see in that feed. Because then I know if I'm going to be the token, mm. if they're just doing it to kind of check a box, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that is one of the glaring issues that I see. The other, um, the other thing that I see is the lack of the lack of culture in whatever this brand is trying to sell. We are a melting pot. We truly are a melting pot. This country is comprised of so many different cultures and we have, we have like in, ingrained so many different foods that don't belong to us into our diet that for me to see a brand that doesn't appreciate that or explore the opportunity to introduce their 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 buyers their customers to these new products or new recipes or if i pitch a particular recipe to them and they're completely against it because oh our 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 customers won't like that mm. that that leads me to kind of let their in their their email go to my my spam yeah. folder or something yeah because it's just it's not worth the effort to try to make things right with them they're not about diversity or equality. And it's obvious when I see those things. And so I do challenge people to, to, to take a look at your Instagram feed. Check out the brands that you follow and see how many brown or black hands you see in those ads. And part of being an ally, a white ally, is asking those brands, hey, what's up with the fact that your, your feed is so whitewashed? Mm. 
I, I know that that was a big thing that was happening right after George Floyd. And mm-hmm. you did mention, you know, the black square on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that someone that I follow that's in the podcast world um, challenged us as white women to go to the brands that you patronize and find out, um, you know, where's your representation of black women, Latina women, mm-hmm. um, you know, plus size women. Right. And, yes. and if, if it's not there, then you hold them accountable. And if they yep. don't make any changes, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be giving them your money. And I think that that's really important. And I did go through and I did unfollow several brands who decided that it wasn't important to them to draw that clear line because mm-hmm. their, their profit was more important. So right. I think it's wow. important for anyone that's listening. I hope that you do follow that advice and go through your feed and, and look at the brands that you're following and the influences, influencers that you're following and make those changes. And, um, you know, if it's a clothing company, why don't you look for a black owned clothing company that might Absolutely. offer you the same thing? Um, you know, I just think it's important to make those small changes in our lives because at the end of the day, those small changes are going to turn into something so much bigger mm-hmm. um, long-term, you know? Yes, absolutely. And I know I'm personally during this whole, you know, Black Lives Matter movement, I've really, I've kind of sat back more than maybe I should have, but not from lack of not being in the trenches and I'd correct somebody if I heard something that was inappropriate or whatever. But I do, I do look at, I think there's a lot of companies that are opportunist. And Mm -hmm. when you use the word token, that really hits for me because as an entrepreneur, you never want to cross that line that you're just going, you know, you're going down the path because it's an opportunity to do so. So now that I don't want to say by any means, the black lives matter movement has slowed down. It's just not as fierce as it was a couple months ago um, in my newsfeed and such, but I'm Mm -hmm. looking at the companies who really took a stand and I'm seeing how they're continuing to move on now, month Mm -hmm. three, month four, month five, and going into this new year, because I think that speaks way more volumes than just Mm -hmm. putting the icon, you know, in a profile picture or having one tweet, Instagram post or whatever it may be, um, because that's just being fraudulent and misleading and being an opportunist. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm interested to kind of see what happens um, long term with that with Mm -hmm. companies. Oh, yeah. I'm watching brands all the time and I'm calling them out, too. And and, and, And as a result, you know, I'm, you know, I'm risking my career i'm yeah. risking you know my place in this this industry and i'm risking potential partnerships but you know what it boils down to is like what i said when we first started speaking these are lives that we're talking about we're not talking about you know i'm upset because you don't offer me a gluten-free uh bread i'm not right. i'm not talking about that i'm talking right. about the fact that people are dying right that's it People are dying. They're being discriminated against. They're being held back all because of something they can't change. Mm-hmm. I can't change my skin color. No, and nor should you want to. You're and I don't know. want to. Right, absolutely. What are cute. <laughs> God made me cute, okay? <laughs> You're gorgeous. Yes. <laughs> but, but not only can you not change the color of your skin as you shouldn't want to, and nobody should want to, but also somebody can 
learn and grow and slowly start mm-hmm. to change their perspective on that. Yes. You can unlearn hate. You can. 100%. We are not can. born with that. Exactly. Exactly. So just because you were raised in a racist environment. And when I tell you, we have friends and God bless the military because it, it, it brings so many different people together from so many different countries, so many different walks of life, so many different religions, lifestyles. I mean, when you can have Thanksgiving at your house, everybody knew ours as the house for Thanksgiving. Mm. I hosted Thanksgiving. I mean, who wouldn't want to go, right? Right? I'm <laughs> serious. And they would show up with Tupperware containers. They knew what they were doing. But when you can have Thanksgiving and have so many different walks of life walk through your door, your children and you are blessed because of that, because yeah. you're exposed to different things. That said, we have friends who are dear friends to us who grew up in some of the most racist families that you can ever imagine. I mean, when I tell you racist, I'm talking Ku Klux Klan members, racist. So if they can unlearn hate Mm -hmm. to the point where they're inviting us into their home and really showing us genuine love, Mm -hmm. anybody can unlearn hate. It's just whether or not you want to. Mm -hmm. That's the big question. And for those who might not have hate, but they just have not been exposed, where when I went to El Paso, oh my word, what a shock. (laughs) I mean, I became the minority. Yes, you were. (laughs) And that is when my world changed from a racial perspective because I just had no, not that I was in any way racist at all. I just Mm -hmm. had no idea how diverse this world was, the amazing things that all of the races and cultures provided. I mean, Mm -hmm. and then Owen was, it was, Owen only remembers that type of experience. So he went from, he didn't know any different. He didn't realize he was the minority. He didn't realize he was the majority. He had no clue. And it really, those years will forever be so precious in my mind because it literally blew up my heart. Like it just made me realize that, what I didn't know. And that learning during that time was so precious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, that's, that's what it's about, right. Is learning. Yeah. And educating yourself. Yes. Yeah. Because without it, we, we are, you know, here where, where we live in, in Michigan, it's not super diverse. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't say that it is. And so to go outside of your city your own poor walls and to um one that's day we when, can travel again yeah but even if you look at your but even if we take michigan mm-hmm. right you guys had a lot of dutch immigrants mm-hmm. land in michigan mm-hmm. so if we take and granted dutch people are white but if we just stop to look at some of the restaurants that there that exist in michigan I know you guys got to have a Chinese restaurant. Oh, okay. yeah. Maybe, maybe not that great compared to New York, but. <laughs> fair. <laughs> you know, fair, right? Ooh. I know you have Mexican restaurants. Mm-hmm. You have Italian restaurants who for a very long time, Italians did not, were not considered to be white people when they first came to this yeah. country. Right. If, if we, and actually Michigan has the largest population of Muslims and Lebanese outside of Lebanon. 
That so, I just recently heard that. Yes, um, Dearborn, Michigan, is yep. has yep. a huge very close population yeah. of Muslim people and Arabs. So, if we just if we just stopped and took a look at the Yelp, right, uh, the Yelp page for our city, and look at the types of restaurants and the cultures that they represent. Mm-hmm. We, we, we are surrounded by culture. We're surrounded by people who don't look like us, who don't cook like us, who don't dress like us, who don't speak the same language natively that we do. There is no excuse in this day and age for many of us to expose ourselves to new and different things. And mm-hmm. we're so much better for it. Mm-hmm. You know, it just takes effort. And I think a lot of people are so stuck in a they're so used to comfort mm-hmm. that they're not willing to step outside of that box to learn more about other people, but they're okay with allowing other people to feel uncomfortable with things they cannot change. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a problem to me. Yeah. That is a problem to me. That was a powerful statement right there. Yeah. So any last words that you would like to throw out to our viewers, just advice or what you expect from people besides what we've already discussed, just I have one oh, more. Sorry, Danielle. I know we've talked about some things, but what is something mm-hmm. that we can do moving forward to be better? Besides calling people out when we see negative situations, besides looking up these brands, what is something that we can do right now every day to be better? So let's talk about the the other buzzword of white privilege, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You all, as white people, have a privilege that I don't have. Mm-hmm. And when, when we talk about white, white privilege, there's been argue, arguments that I've had on Facebook or social media where people are like, nah, you know, my family worked hard every day for what they have. We weren't given anything. That's, no one's talking about struggle. No one's talking about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. That's not what white privilege means. White privilege means that when you walk into the supermarket looking for gel, you have five rows of shelves dedicated to your hair care products. Mm-hmm. Whereas when me and my daughter walk into the, the supermarket to look for hair products, we have probably a three foot by four shelf tall display of natural hair care products. of which contain coconut, which my daughter's allergic to. Mm -hmm. So that's privilege. Privilege is seeing people who look like you in TV shows or in magazines or in ad campaigns. And when you see them in TV shows, they're not the villain. Mm. They're not the drug dealer or they're not the housekeeper. That's privilege. To have great representation of people who look like you, Mm. your children have superheroes to look up to, that's privilege. It's walking into a store with a mask on or not wearing a mask and going off on the Costco lady because she told you to put on a mask and not fearing that the police are going to come in and shoot you. So that's all privilege. And a lot of people want to say that privilege or they want to automatically default to Privilege means I'm rich. No, it doesn't. No. Amanda, when me and when I first moved to San Antonio, Amanda and I had a conversation on Messenger about a home 
building a home. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she walked me through the process. She talked me down off the ledge that I was on because I was freaking out because I'm so type A and neurotic. <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah, right. So I, my husband and I went into a bank to secure a construction loan. And of course, when you go into a bank to, cons to, to secure any type of loan, you give them the information that you have because you want them to give you their money. The man told me, and this was after we sat in their lobby, hearing an interaction he was having with a white couple that was before us. Very, I mean, he was great. And I was actually hopeful because of how kind and how polite and how respectful he was to these people. I said, yeah, he seems like a nice guy. And we sat down and automatically he starts turning around and drinking and texting on his phone. And I'm kind of sitting there like, hi, we're, we'd like to talk to you and look you in the eye. He told me and my husband, after we told him that we don't have any debt, we, we were completely debt free. He said, well, if it's true that you really don't have debt, and I looked at him and I said, why would we tell you who is about to get all of our financial information? Why would we tell you we don't have debt if we don't have it? He said, well, you know, it's kind of unbelievable that people don't have debt. <laughs> and I just looked at him and I kind of, at that point I started backpedaling. I was like, this guy's a jerk. Mm -hmm. But I sat there because if I get up in a huff, I become the angry black woman or the feisty Latina. So I sat back and I bit my tongue. And he said, let's assume that you have a low credit score. And I told him, let's not, because we don't. He said, well, it, it really can't be that great, right? And I said, it absolutely can. And when I tell you, I wish I was exaggerating this story. I really am not, which makes it even worse. He continued to go on and on and on. He would cut us off. He would talk over us. He would just not listen to what we were saying. And finally, I got so fed up with sitting there, actually allowing somebody who should be pining for our business mm -hmm. to talk to me like I'm crazy or to talk to my husband like we're liars. And I got up and I said, you know, what? I'm not doing this. You're not going to demean me. You're not going to degrade me. You're not going to insult me or my husband and me sit here and take this. And all of a sudden he realized that what he had been doing was not what he was doing with the white people. With the white people was yes, ma'am. And no, sir. And oh, we're going to earn your business. And with us, it was just like, you're wasting my time. So call people out. Stop allowing people to believe that this is acceptable. Mm. I don't care if it's my friend that I've had for 20 plus years. If you say something that is completely unacceptable, I'm going to let you know it's unacceptable because what it boils down to is my children can overhear this. My mm. children could experience this. And if you ever make me or my children feel like we're subhuman, I'm going to have to call you out on it. But when I start calling people out on it, again, I fall into that stereotype of she's the angry black woman or she's the sassy, fiery Latina. And that's not fair. Whereas you're the one that's wrong. You the, you're the one that should feel ashamed for what you just said or how you just made someone feel. 
but I'm the one that has to mind my tongue. I have to control myself. I have to take the offense with grace in class, but you can act a fool. And everybody sits back and says, watch how the black lady responds or watch how the person of color responds. And oh, see, that's why, they, that's why we treat you the way we do because y'all don't know how to control yourself. As white people, when you decide I am going to be an ally to my black friends, to my Hispanic friends, to my Asian friends, you have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to speak up, even if we're not around. Because it sets the tone. It, it, it tells people that if another white person is saying this is unacceptable, it must really be unacceptable. Mm. Right. So if you're going to be an ally, be an ally. And I always liken it because of my military lifestyle. I always liken it to the world wars. Had, had, had Europe or England decided that whenever the United States was going to attack, they were like, yeah, but you know what? I'm just going to hang out over here. D-Day wouldn't have been the success that it was, right? If you, as a white person, say, I'm going to ally myself with my brown or my black friends, but when someone offends them or somebody makes them feel bad and you just sit back and say, oh boy, and then later on come back and say, that wasn't right what they did to you, you've done absolutely nothing. Mm. Quick, quick example of that when we lived in El Paso we went out for you know a bunch of ladies went out for a friend's birthday at a, at a restaurant and I, I would love to say there was about eight or nine women at that table and I was one of I was the only person of color at that table and everybody that knows me Amanda will attest to this back then knew I was the the I like to say congenial person. You know, I was just loud. I was, I, my personality is loud. But at some point during that whole exchange, a comment was made by one of the white women at that table. And we were talking about um, a jewelry party that somebody had had. And I had picked up a, a bracelet and I was looking at it, but another woman came along and said, oh no, that's mine. I want to buy that one. And we, I kind of made a joke because I was like, I already have that one anyways, you know? And the the woman at the table said, well, that's because we know all Puerto Ricans are thieves. And that's exactly the reaction everybody else gave. There was an audible gasp at that table. And I looked at her and I said, what? It wasn't funny. There was nothing funny about that statement. There was no joking. It wasn't sarcasm. It was just something very crazy. And I kind of just sat back and I didn't say anything. But nor did any of the white women at that table say anything. And the day kept going, the, the evening kept going. And you can tell when I'm quiet in a group of friends, something's wrong. Mm. And I was very quiet. And the same woman later on out of the blue said, when did you learn to speak English? Do You guys speak English in Puerto Rico? Because your English is so good. And I just looked at her. And at that point, I was done. Because there was two things that I could have done in that moment. I could have cried, which is really what I wanted to do. And it was more so because of the, the other women sitting around that table that didn't say a word. Or I could have jumped across the table and hurt her. But then I would have been feeding into the stereotype. So I was damned if I did and damned if I didn't. The rest of the night just went downhill from there. I got out of there as fast as I could. And then the next day, 
there became a big to-do about how I hurt her feelings because she knew I was upset with her. And people who weren't even at the restaurant were coming to me, messaging me, saying, you need to go and make her feel better because she really feels bad for what she said. Why, why am like I the guardian? your responsibility. Yeah. Why am I the guardian of your feelings? Because you were offensive and now you regret what you said. And where in that were my friends? Where were the white women who should have said, you are out of line. You're completely out of line and you need to stop. Where were the white women that should have stood up and said, you know what? This is not okay. And you're not going to talk to my friend like that. Because had the roles been reversed, and that been the only white person at the table and one of my friends said something like that to, to them, all bets would have been off and I would have called them out. Mm. But nobody did that. And it spoke volumes to me and it, and it broke my heart really. Mm. That relationship with that particular person was forever damaged mm -hmm. because at that point I understood how she really saw me. Mm -hmm. And I understood by proxy how she saw my children and my mm. husband. Wow. Well, and you ask where are the white women? We're right here, Marta. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right here. And we promise you and everyone else listening that we will not sit back idly and not use our voices to mm -hmm. love on you because you are you. And yeah. you are so human and so perfect and deserve all of the best. Yeah. And I think this has been a lesson to all of us. Um, you know, last, last week we left and I said, be kind to yourselves. And this week I'm going to tell you to be bold and stand up for minorities and people who are marginalized, because if we don't do it, nobody no will. one else is going to nobody will. And I, I just want to, I know that we're out of time and I apologize, but, um, I just want to go back real quick to the white privilege thing because, um, as someone who is white, who grew up in a trailer park, who shopped at the thrift stores, who sometimes came home and there was no power at my house. Um, the first time I heard white privilege, I was like, please, I don't have privilege. But in growing and learning and understanding what that really means, um, absolutely. I have privilege. And I, I do hope that if there's someone listening who felt the same way I did when they first heard that term, that you just examine yourself and, and understand it for what it really means. And I think your examples of white privilege really brought it yes. down to the level that people have a different understanding. It's not about working hard. It's not about this, that, this. It's, mm -hmm. there, it's so many things across the board. Something as simple as hair care. I hadn't even thought of that yeah. and how true you are. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it exists. It exists. Yeah, and it I, I mean, I was kind of right there with you, you know, Bridget, because you immediately get in, you get a little like, wait, what? A little insulted. You know, and you have to digest it, but as you learn and you hear those stories, you have a better understanding of what it's being, what's really being said by that meaning. Yeah. Yeah. So as we go into the, the next week, I just challenge you, like I said, to be bold, be uncomfortable. That's where the good stuff happens. Um, Marta, can you tell us where we can find you online? You can find me on most social media channels as Sense and edibility. If you are a Jane Austen fan, you kind of get the play mm -hmm. on words. Mm -hmm. 
And on Twitter and Pinterest specifically, I'm Edible Sense. Okay. And then on my site, um, senseandedibility.com. Well, we will make sure that we link all of that um, in the description of this post um, here on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you can find us, you'll be able to find Marta's links. Marta, thank you so much. We seriously, we enjoyed this so much. It was so nice meeting you and getting to know you and hearing a little bit of your story and we appreciate it so much. Yes. I love spending time with all of you. Oh, thank you for letting me love on you for like this little bit of time. It's like we had coffee. It's been so long. So yeah, it's been too long. And it's like marrying my two worlds together today. And I love it. I love it. So thank you so much, Marta. You are so sweet, so kind. And like Bridget said, this week, be bold, be better, do good things. Mm -hmm. So thank you for tuning in. And until next week, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye.